I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you'll be surprised at the info you get Is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk Gotta keep Hello and welcome to JK Plus One I am uh, not your host, PTF I am not in the Brooklyn bunker I am on the planet Texas Nothing to report about Pete, I don't think. Oh, yeah, I, he he just keeps reminding everyone he, that he plucked me from obscurity. He just thinks that he needs to, every time I do something at least semi-cool, Pete just wants to swoop in there and take all the credit. But we all know the truth that Michelle Yu is actually the one who plucked me from obscurity and and Pete's just taking credit for it. Um, that's, that's just how Pete is. He's not a high character guy, so you got to keep your eye on him. <laughs> At all times. So, um, anyways, I hope everybody's good out there. Um, we've, we're we're eight episodes in. This will be episode nine of JK Plus One. It's a uh, it's been a fun journey so far, and I'm thankful for all my guests that have given me the time to uh, to to pick their brain and to to get them to tell entertaining stories. Um, look, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun summer, uh, one way or the other. We're gonna have some fun stuff. Uh, this episode is just the, the the biggest evidence in the world that I have to I cannot wait for the for the two hours sit down maybe two hour plus sit down with Angel Cordero at, at Saratoga I haven't asked him yet but I think he'll uh, I think he'll do it so looking forward to that but um, uh, what else is going on housekeeping wise same old same old make sure you guys subscribe um, hit the little you know the little purple icon on your iPhone podcasts uh, in the money media subscribe uh, if you'd like to show us retweet tweet us. Um, it's, you know, we love to hear from you, but it's also good for people in your timeline to see that the show exists so they can check it out and we can continue to grow this thing. Um, what else, what else, what else? Uh, yeah, I thought that we'll just get into the show. It's, it's not the longest episode in the world, two hours, but this is a guest that you'll hear on these airwaves uh, a number of times. Uh, one of my best friends in the world and, and a guy that, uh, that, uh, is, you know, if you become friends with him, you don't need an alarm clock because, he literally calls me every morning at seven o'clock, sometimes earlier, and uh, and he's never apologetic about it. But that's okay. It's always good to start off my day with a little Jake Ballas. So, uh, the Prince of Keeneland, he's been known as. Uh, I call him Huncho Jack, uh, so I call him Huncho for short. He's been known as the Big Fella. Um, but uh, Jake Ballas is going to be on the show as a as a, from Black Type Thoroughbreds, uh, first horse Jake ever bought ran in the Kentucky Derby. So how about that for luck? He had a stakes winner and up in smoke this weekend. And we just chop it up uh, about his uh, about his history with the game, the, the horses he's had, some of the stories, um, his relationship with, with Angel Cordero and where that came from and and, and a load of other things. So uh, sit back and, and enjoy while I bring in the big fella. <laughs> for the second time, big fella, what's going on? I forgot to hit record the first time. <laughs> what's popping, JK? Oh, my gosh. Uh, nothing. I'm, I'm chilling. I, I told you the first time, so I'll tell you again really quickly. Uh, I'm just hanging out with Austin. He beat me in, in Madden and, uh, it was, uh, it was a shocking thing. I told myself I was never going to let him beat me until he earned it. And I thought that it was going to be like years of me beating him. And then eventually he would get me. And, uh, he beat the first time we actually played in a long time against one another. He beat me today. So it's a really weird day for me. Well, he stayed up late last night practicing. So y'all didn't do anything all day. And Sounds like when we're done here tonight, y'all will probably uh, get round two going. Oh, we're going to run it back. That's for sure. 100% running it back. 
Um, look, I just wanted to jump in, in into this conversation and, and uh, have you on and, and talk about uh, your your life in the game. I think it's a pretty interesting journey that you've had so far, just from from the first horse you you ever owned running in the Kentucky Derby and and where you are now with Up in Smoke winning a, a stake race in Florida over the weekend. So um, as a guy from Texas, I always get the question, like, how did you get into racing? Because, you know, obviously Lone Star's there near the house. You've got Sam Houston uh, near Houston where you grew up. But, you know, those aren't th- – that's not Keeneland. That's not Del Mar. That's not Saratoga. That's not, you know, Gulfstream, Churchill. It's it, Those aren't the racetracks that, that, that necessarily – you know, you grow up going to, and that's the social event, you know, you just kind of end up there one day and that's how it happened. How did you get in to horse racing as a, as a kid from Houston? My father owned horses back in the mid eighties. And I, you know, I was young, I was, you know, six and seven and eight probably when, when he had his horses up in New York. So I, I would go to the races with him occasionally, not every time. And then he got out of the game in probably the late 80s. He was only in it four years. And so, I, you know, I always was interested in horse racing due to just watching as a kid. Uh, and then when I, you know, high school, and then I played basketball in college. So I never really got a chance to understand it fully until I graduated college and my, my graduation present was – you want to go to Saratoga for a week. So I graduated college in May and in uh, late July, I went to Saratoga. I didn't know one person. My dad rented a house and he said he was going to meet me up there. He ended up not being able to come. So I was by myself in this house and probably 15 minutes away from the track on this quiet road. It was back then I kind of thought it was just, it was kind of eerie just being by yourself, not knowing anybody. So he says, well, what you need to do is you need to find Cordero because uh, he used to ride for my dad. Well, this was 2003. So it was before you were Googling on your phone who was who and the house didn't have internet. Um, so I didn't know how I was going to just go find Angel Cordero. I didn't even know what he looked like. And I was, it was Monday night. I was sitting at a bar by myself and I asked the bartender, Hey, you know, where's there going to be a good party tonight? It's Monday. You know, there's probably nothing going on. This is before I knew that Mondays were dark days or Tuesdays were dark. So everybody went out on Monday and the guy says, well, around 10 o'clock upstairs on the third floor, there's a jockey's party. Okay, great. I don't, I don't know if this is going to be fun. If it's going to be terrible. I didn't know anything about it. So I waited and had a couple adult beverages, as you like to say. And sure enough, people started coming in. The first person I, I see, I walk up to, and it's a little guy. And I said, hey, um, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but y'all know if Angel Cordero's here. And he looks up at me and says, I'm Angel Cordero if you don't kick my ass. So I just started laughing. I introduced myself. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm John's son. And he was with Jose Santos, who used to ride Groovy as well as Angel. So we had three of us started talking, and, uh, and that's how I got back in the game. Uh, to make a long story short, sorry. And but yeah, I didn't. You know, I I never got in at gambling like on your end, and on a lot of like our friend Dominic, he was gambling first. It was just about I don't know 
that I learned really how to gamble on racing probably, you know, after I met you, I, I mean, I was gambling on it, but not the right way. If there is a right way. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, I didn't really learn that part till later, you know, after we had horses, um, probably eight years after we had horses, I just was never a really big gambler. I always took it as we put up our money on the horses. That's enough gambling right there. Um, so that but, was 2003 and yeah, that, yeah. And you didn't, you're joining the dance. When, when, when did that happen? And how, and how did that happen? How did joining the dance happen? So when I met Angel in Saratoga, the next night we went to dinner, just the two of us. And I think two days later hung out or whatever. And that was, you know, like I said, late July, August. So here April comes around and I hadn't heard from him. And he calls me about a week before the Kentucky Derby and says, and this was 04, and says, hey, you know, I got extra tickets to the Kentucky Derby. You know, would you like to go with me? So I said, sure. And I don't know. I guess that'd be fun. Um, so I go to the Derby then, just sit with Angel, and he had, you know, clubhouse box right on the finish line, and I just thought it was incredible. So... I go in 04, 05, 06, 07, I go with Angel every year. And he kept saying, if you want to get back in the game, let me buy you a horse. So finally in 2008, we agreed and said, if you see something, you know, let me know. So he calls me one day and says, I found this horse down in Florida. It just ran, blah, blah, blah. And at this time, I don't know speed figures, any of that stuff. You know, I'm just following it as a fan, not a gambler. So I'm just turning in on big days. I'm not watching TVG or any of that stuff. So he says they want 200000 So I, I talked to my dad and uh, I talked to Richard, who's a partner of ours, and another friend, and we agreed. About an hour later, he calls me back and says, hey, they're about to – so-and-so is going to buy this horse for 200 without vetting them. And he said, we can't do that. We have to send our vet. So we got to pass on them. Okay, that's fine. And, you know, that was 07 or 08. I can't I think it was 08. Anyways, that's fine. Well, the horse ended up, Bobby Frankel bought him. And the horse was Vineyard Haven. And he wins the champagne, I believe. And they sell him for $12 million to Darley. So it was one of those, geez, well, we could have had that. But you can't just go buy a horse without betting it. Bobby Franco did. He obviously was a lot smarter then. So Angel called me again and said, I found another horse. And it was uh, this horse. It was joining the dance. It ran second, I believe. And so, sure, we'll do it. So I put just five of us. I think we all put up. 50,000, 25,000, some number. And so we send the horse to Saratoga. And we all go up there one day and if, you know, when he was uh, when he was entered. And we send him to Todd Fletcher. He wins. We probably had 25 people with us. So first horse we buy, winner. We go to the Saratoga Special. We run fourth. And... So he's, you know, he's, he's been, he was, he was a fun horse. And then three-year-old year, we were 35 to one 
we said, let's just take a shot in the Tampa Derby. So, uh, sorry about that. This could take a shot in the Tampa Derby. I remember Elvis Trujillo Road. I flew to Orlando. Richard and I went down there. And we get snapped in the last couple jumps. We run second. Musket man beat us. And I'll never forget, we were jumping up and down celebrating like we won the Kentucky Derby. And we just finished second in the Tampa Derby. And the guys from TVG interviewed us before the race. And then they were waving at us to come down towards the winner's circle. So we go down there and they were interviewing Richard. It had nothing to do with me. They were interviewing Richard in the winner's circle as Musket Man was in the winner's circle taking photos. So we just thought that was absolutely hysterical. Um, so, you know, and then, then we go to the bluegrass and I think we were fifth or something. And, uh, next thing you know, we're 30 something on the list to get in the Derby. Well, deflection after deflection, after deflection, angel calls me and says, Hey, I think we're going to be able to get in if you want to run. I said, sure, let's run. We 50 to was one. He, he was triple crown nominated already. Yes, he was. Okay. Yeah. So he, he said, you know, I knew he couldn't get the distance and, uh, but I was like, you know what? It's a once in a lifetime deal. We had to put up fifty or a hundred thousand, and uh, but so we we did it, and we had seven boxes. We brought forty-two people, and the walk over. I think I was twenty, twenty-nine, so I had a bunch of a bunch of my friends there. We were walking on the track. It was pouring rain we had Coors lights in our hand smoking we're chewing on cigars we weren't even smoking them i mean i bet people thought we were a bunch of idiots walking we were just cheering and yelling waving at the crowd <laughs> i mean it was it was so much fun because uh, there wasn't you know you're 50 to 1 there's no pressure on you no one expects you to run well so we went straight to the lead we turned it for home we had the lead it's really cool listening to the race call I keep saying, join in the dance, join in the dance, join in the dance. It was a big thrill for us. We finished seventh, but did not disgrace us at all. But that was the first horse. So then you think it's an easy, easy game, right? Oh, first horse we buy, we're going to the Kentucky Derby. And, you know, it's been 11 years later. We, we haven't been back, but uh, we're going to, we're going to keep trying to get there. So you mentioned Richard in, in the mix. Now that walkover, he was missing. Right, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny why he was missing. Yeah, he he had more important things to do. He was uh, he was in the NBA playoffs. I believe it may have even been the finals at that time. It wasn't maybe it wasn't the finals. He was in the playoffs with the Orlando Magic, and uh, we a friend of mine came with us. Actually, he played for the Houston Texans. His name's Chester Pitts. He was an offensive lineman. You know, he's probably six five, three hundred pounds. You know, Richard's 6'10", 235 pounds. You can't really mistake one or the other. They, I mean, you know, <laughs> they, they, have one other. Thing, they have one thing in they, common. They have, they have one thing in common. And, and, and so people were yelling, hey, Richard, Richard. And Chester's waving at him, <laughs> like, acting like he was Richard walking, walking down. And the, the funny thing was, Chester was sitting up in Millionaire's Row, and he was sitting with uh, right around Michael Jordan. And after the after the race, I, 
was talking to Chester and he said, man, it was the coolest experience because I went upstairs and Michael Jordan said, man, I saw you down there in that walkover. And he said, Jordan looked at me and said he saw me. That made my life. You know, so it was that was that part was cool. But yeah, you know, Rashard was playing and so we talked all day long about basketball, horse racing, horse racing, basketball, horse racing, basketball. We talked about horse racing more than we did during uh, in the NBA uh, during that run. And that's when they had, you know, a very, very good team. They played the Lakers in the finals. Uh, but Richard would call me about horse racing. And he told me that, you know, during the races, whenever Jordan the Dance would run, he'd be watching the locker room. And all the team would gather around. And he said they would, they would watch on the computer. So it was, a, it was a pretty cool deal back then. That's so much fun. Um how, how did you how did you and Richard meet? I mean, obviously, it has to be a Houston connection with him being from uh, from like a from a leaf. How did how did you guys connect and 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 how did it uh, how did he get interested in wanting to get a horse? So in high school, we I played at Stratford High School. And he was at a leaf Elsick. And after my freshman year, I got asked to play on a AAU select team. And I didn't know what it was at the time. So I went to the first practice, and I show up, and there's Richard. And I just remember thinking, I was like, dang, man, this guy's, this guy's pretty tall. And I just started talking to him, and then I ended up backing him up, if that's surprising to you. So I didn't really play that often on that team since he never left the game. But we just became very close, and that was, two, that was 1995, I believe. And every weekend I would go to his house – you know, or you pick him up and, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to, I had a car in high school and he didn't. Um, so he had borrowed my car and we'd just go play basketball every weekend and playing tournaments, blah, blah, blah. So we just became very, very close. So he got drafted by Seattle when I went to the University of Houston and stayed in contact. And when I graduated, I probably, I mean, I saw him, you know, when they come play the Rockets so forth. When I graduated college, I finally you know, I had time to go to Seattle. That was a, during the same time I went to Saratoga. So I just kept telling him, man, this Saratoga was a lot of fun. I mean, we should, my dad used to have horses. We should try to buy a horse sometime. And he looked at me like I was ridiculous, just crazy, which I probably am. So it's a couple of years. Hey, you want to try to buy this horse? You know, when Angel said, hey, we've got this. And so I told Richard, I said, look, we'll put up the money. If you want to do it, just you know, buy it on a small piece. So he did. And, uh, you know, that was the two years after he signed a pretty big contract. So he bought in and, um, you know, we went to Saratoga and he fell in love with it. Uh, he, he's passionate about it. He follows it. And so then it was, you know, let's go buy a couple more. We've always tried to keep it on a smaller scale. We've never been a stable to have, you know, 10 horses in training or anything like that. But until this day, he really loves it. And as you know, he'll go to Breeders' Cup, go to Derbies. When he retired and started in the, the Big Three League, it's unfortunate because that coincided with Saratoga. So he hasn't been to Saratoga the last several years. Um, and this year, who knows if the fans, if he's going to be able to go or not. Um, but he he's been very very passionate. I think he's been pretty good for the game. No, absolutely. I think that I think that anytime like there's like a, a, a someone like high profile like elsewhere, it's so good for the game. I think Breeders Cup does a great job with that ambassador program where you know they had Stephen Jackson and, and Avery Johnson and 
uh, you know, uh, uh, like the kid that pitches for the for that's from Kentucky, the the, the pitches for the yeah, Dodgers, like Dodgers, Bueller or something. I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I think the Astros beat him, by the way. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was the year before. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's always good for that when that happens. Um, so not, so you have joining the dance, and then you're like, all right, this is fun. Um, who who is the next horse? I actually don't even know the answer. I, I I I'm guessing it was like the next good horse. I'm sure there was another horse, but who's the next good? Yeah, horse? there was another horse in, in between there. We just won't talk about. Um, that was before I learned a lot. Um, the next big horse. So we go to the sale at Keeneland. Angel Cordero's with me because he looks at all of our videos, the Breeze videos. And I think that's a very I think that's a big advantage when he can be there and look at them. And, you know, there, there's some people in the industry that don't think you don't need him. You don't need, he doesn't need to look at videos. He's a jockey, blah, 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 blah. My opinion is he's sat on the best horses in the world. I think he would know a thing or two about it. So we were at the sale. We, Angel sees a horse that he really likes at the barn. He breathed 11 flat, which for people out here listening that don't follow two-year-old sales, is very slow. So he says, we need to buy this one. So, dang, Angel, he, he breathes 11 flat, one of the slowest in the sale. So he had his reasons why he really liked the horse. So we bought him and we named him Cigar Street. So Dan was a after cigar. He was by Street Sense. <clears throat> so we started on him and he had shins. So we kind of started on him until late. He made his debut in February down in New Orleans, sprinting. Didn't run very good, which was very disappointing because we, we kept hearing all along how how nice he was. Second start, we stretched him out, and he won. He got a 99 buyer down at Fairgrounds. He won by open links. I can't remember the exact. We got offered you know, a good amount of money, and, of course, we said no. You know, we're, this was in March. We're going to try to make the Kentucky Derby, which was a huge mistake on our end that I've learned from. We wheeled him back three weeks later in the Louisiana Derby as the favorite or second choice. Maybe Mark Molesky was the favorite. We got beaten a length and a half. We run fourth, so now we can't go to the Derby. Then he, he came out of that, that that race. He worked a couple times and had a condylar fracture. Got him back going. He won three in a row. Got hurt again. Was off 17 months. Came back. Won three in a row. We we run in the Breeders' Cup Classic off of a win at Churchill on a stake. He was 10 to 1, and we really thought we had a big chance. No. He, we just asked him to do too much too soon. It was his third race off a layoff. So we, we just asked him too much too soon, I thought. And then he ended up getting hurt after the Breeders' Cup Classic. A couple works before, we were going to run on the Don Handicap. That same year, I believe, we bought White Rose out of the same sale. I get them all mixed up right now. If I had pause in front of the computer, I would tell you exactly. But we buy her. And uh, we actually, it's a funny story, we get out bid. There was, there was a horse, Cigar Street may have been before White Rose, but anyways, there was a horse that was hit 36, and it was the first crop of Curlin. We said we had 200000 to spend, so we bid 190000 And At the time, I was sitting in Houston with my dad, and we're doing it over the phone, and he said, no, no, I want to go after another hip, just stop. And so we, horse sells for 200000 and it was... Palace Malice, who obviously sold for a lot of money after the fact. He was a very good horse. And then we get outbid on the one my dad wanted. Then Angel said, y'all need to buy this. 
It's gray filly. My tap it. So we bought White Rose, and she was a ton of fun. Very sound horse. We set the track. Still has a track record, I believe. It's Saratoga in her second to last start. The grade three there. She was a lot of fun. She was an honest filly. Long distance on the turf. It never it was never real exciting as far as you break out of the gate and go. But that was she. She ended up being a ton of fun. And so those were our probably first three good ones. Looking at yeah. looking at your horses, um, you know, there's there's kind of a common denominator. At some point, Johnny Velasquez is always on them. Uh, I'm assuming that your relationship with Johnny uh, grew based on your relationship with Angel. Um, but I also know that you, you've got a, you know, you've got a, a, a an extremely personal relationship with Johnny as well. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I met him through Angel, as you said. It's great because Johnny is very blunt and he's not going to sugarcoat anything. So he would work a horse that you have and tell you exactly what he feels. And but we would go on family vacations with Johnny and Angel on several of them. So I became very close with him. And uh, he's one of the nicest guys, one of the classiest guys you know, in the business. Angels, obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. He turned Johnny into the leading money earner in the history of horse racing, being his agent, his protege, I guess. But yeah, Johnny's very, very close family friend. I still text him, you know, to this day about anything. He's uh, assuming. I'm assuming that that breakup kind of made you feel like uh, like uh, your parents were getting divorced or something, huh? It's very, very, very sad. Like I said, every time I go to Florida, I go to dinner with Johnny and Angel. and I didn't believe it when uh, he called me. And it was was a funny, not funny story, but, you know, our friend Dominic Savides has has a very fast filly named Venetian Harbor. And he asked, Dominic called me and says, can you call Angel and see if we can get Johnny to go out to California and ride Venetian Harbor? So I said, yeah, sure. So I called Angel. I said, hey, I got good news, man. I think this is one of the fastest fillies in the country, and they want Johnny. He said, I don't have Johnny anymore. I said, yeah, okay. I said, well, are you going to be in uh, Florida that day, or you, you think you'll be able to go to California? He said, I don't have Johnny anymore. So he told me the story, and um, it's still surreal to this day, in all fairness. Like, I've watched and still root for Johnny. Um but you know, when Johnny wins a big race, I call Angel immediately. Obviously, I can't do that now. Um, you know, this business with owners, trainers, jockeys, jockey agents, etc. People move around all the time. That was probably the, la- the longest relationship of any jockey and, and jockey agent in the business. So, from that standpoint, it was very, very sad. He was like a Sunday Angel, still is. You know, so it's. It just goes to show you that nothing lasts forever, and uh, yeah, I don't, it, it it still hurts. But I don't hold anything against Johnny or Angel about it. I, it's two sides to every story, and it's not going to change my opinion of Johnny or Angel. Now, um, so White Rose, Cigar Street, joining the dance, you know, and I've never really talked to you a ton about, it, and I wasn't even really like heavily involved like across the world, like not across the world, across the country in racing when mean season ran. Hmm. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys were pretty excited about him. Did you buy, did you buy him off the track? So he won first out at Laurel for Adina and Adina was having a dispersal at the racing age sale in November. 
and he was he was a three year old first time starter in maybe September, and uh, so he was in the sale. And I sent Angel the videos, and he just said, "You have to buy this horse." And so he, he failed several people's vet, but he failed it on his throat. He had a tieback surgery before he ever ran. So my vet here in Lexington was Doctor Hoare, and he said, "Tieback looks good. His throat should be fine." So I and I was buying for a guy then at the time. So I gave him, you know, first look because I just thought that was fair. And I said, hey, look, I really like this horse. I said, yeah, I like him too. My vet failed him on his throat. So, all right, well, Dr. Hoare passed him. So if you don't want him, we're going to go after him. So fine. So we buy him for 150000 We sent him to Bill Mott. And his first start for us, he, he got 105 buyer. So now the phone is ringing off the hook trying to buy him. And I should have learned my lesson on Cigar Street to take some money off the table. But you know, my dad used to own Groovy. He was a very, very fast sprinter. So now we're thinking we have the next Groovy. And second start for us, his third start is at Aqueduct. It was the day of the Tom Fool. It was the race before it. And we're in an allowance race. We run off the screen again. And it was two-fifths or four-fifths of a second faster than the Tom Fool that won the race after us. The problem was when we crossed the finish line, I was down downstairs at Aqueduct. And I think we had 11 or 12 people with us, and we were jumping up and down. And I looked on the big screen, and Irad was unsaddling the horse, didn't even make it back to the winter circle. So they vanned him off, and he had an avulsion fracture behind the knee, and it took a really long time for him to, to come back. And when he came back, he, he won first off believe it, Laurel. And then it was just never the same. No, we ran him in the stake at Goldstream, actually. And, uh, and then, he, then I guess we ran him at Laurel. But he was just never the same horse after that. But as far as talent, he was probably, Bill Mott may say, he was one of the fastest horses. I'm not saying top five that Mott's trained, but he was he was a very, 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 very fast horse. Mott told me he was one of the fastest he trained. That was very deflating because we thought we had a, you know, a very, very special horse. People in this oh, business nice. always, you know, they say take money off the table when you can. And, uh, and we would have after that race, but it was very, very, you know, deflating. After It's very hard to buy a good horse. And, you know, it's what's, what's interesting is when you're at a public auction, you know, when you buy a horse, you're the only person in the entire world that thinks that horse is worth that much money on that day. So, you know, people, you can buy a horse and say, well, oh, that was a good purchase, you know, after you buy it. Well, you know, I was the only one that thought it was worth this because if not, I would have got outbid, obviously. So it's, it's just extremely difficult to buy good horses. And when you get one and then it gets hurt, it's, it's disheartening. So there's lots of different ways to buy horses. And I've seen, even since we've been friends, I've seen you do it, I think, pretty, pretty much every way. Um, and if people are listening, aren't familiar, you know, I'll just kind of rattle them off, but I want to get your opinion or just your kind of your overview of, 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 of the risk and which one you prefer. And if you got to just do one and, you know, if money wasn't an issue and da, 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 da. but, you know, obviously you can buy them as yearlings or weanlings, even you can buy them as yearlings. Um, you can buy them as a uh, two-year-old in training. Um, you can buy them, uh, off the track. You can buy them in like racing age sales. 
where have you, I mean, obviously I, I, you know, you've had success in different areas, but where, where do you feel the most comfortable? Where do you, what's your thought about the the place that you would, if someone said, Hey, I got a million, what should I do with it? Where, what would you tell them to do with that money? I, if, if I had a million dollars to spend, I would buy a horse, you know, off the, off the racetrack, you know, yearling, weanling, two-year-old is very speculative. Um, when you buy a horse off the track, you see how they perform. So you, you know a lot more information than you do, uh, you know, as a yearling. So they're cheaper as a yearling, typically. And then two-year-olds, blah, 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 same horse, same pedigree, breeze as well, be more expensive. And then off the track, you pay a little more. You pay a premium because you've seen it run and you have speed figures that nowadays everybody looks at, which is a positive and a negative. You know, if you like a horse and it runs a slow number, well, I don't can't buy it, man. This guy says it's slow because he made up a number that says it's slow. Um, and so that's where, and if it runs really fast, number everybody wants more money. So like the buyers and ragazins, they have a lot of power when it comes to valuations of a horse. Um, I think it's the safest play. Now, I mean, I bought one a couple years ago off the track for a decent amount of money and never ran. So stuff does happen. Um, if I had to choose between a two-year-old versus a yearling, uh, we've had more success at the two-year-old sales. A lot of people to complete opposite. I, I do think it's where you've had more luck and success with is where you're going to land there. We just happen to have more luck as a two-year-old. And I think some of that has to do with, I have Angel that looks at the Breeze videos. you know, And then George Weaver and I can look at the physicals and, George knows more about that than I do. Um, and you know more because you can see how they move. Now, they're asking these horses to do something they're never going to do a day in their life. So it is kind of ridiculous to think, hey, let's go to a two-year-old sale and then we'll, let's go watch a horse. Oh, he can breeze 10 flat for an eighth of a mile. That doesn't. That's not an indication of how a horse can go run nine furlongs, right, or seven furlongs. You don't know that answer. Now, you, but you do have more information than you do as a yearling. Um, yearling, you can get them cheaper than two-year-olds, maybe, um, with a little more pedigree. If you go to a two-year-old sale and a horse breezes very fast, the bet's good, has a lot of pedigree, you're not going to be able to afford them. You just get outbid on them. So a yearling, you can find more pedigree-type horses that can fall in, the, in your wheelhouse than you can as a two-year-old, in my opinion. Uh, but I... You know, between joining the dance, Mean Season was very talented. Up in Smoke's very talented. I bought Race Day out of a racing HL who's very talented. So I've had more luck that way than I have buying yearlings. It's the worst horse you've ever bought. The one like that one you're like, damn, if I could take that one back. I had to run. Um, Shiloh Lane. Uh, he was in first year or he sold in Maryland. I really liked the horse and I can go back now and watch the breeze video and I see some things in it that would have made me question to buy the horse. But at that time, I really liked them. I had, I had newer partners at the time. We paid 330,000 and he was not very fast. Now he almost broke his maiden made a special way to Tampa with a 70 something buyer. So he was not just totally worthless as far as, effort concern and blah 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 deuce great house and i bought a 
unbridled song, Colt, that breathes very slow. And a two-year-old said, oh, and I said, well, heck, Cigar Street breathes slow. So let's try this. And he wasn't as expensive, but he couldn't run either. But yeah, Shiloh Lane, if I had if I had one horse to take back, it would be Shiloh Lane. And that and it was crazy when you have partners, they don't like when you lose. And you take a lot of heat. And I, I took a lot of heat off that from that horse. Eve, I was trying to think if we <laughs> I was honestly trying to think if we wanted to go down the gray to hair path, but um, well, we can. Uh, I mean, heck, we're, yeah, we're, 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 you know, Greater Hair ran down in Prairie Meadows, Texas, maybe. Anyways, we he, had, he ran an eight on the sheets, very fast number, did it very impressively. He was lugging out, and that's either a sign of greenness or being very sore. We get him under contract. I go down and look at him, jog him, vet him. He's fine, you know, so... Heck, I even talked to the jockey, Lane Luzzy. No, the horse, not sore at all. Just green. Okay. Trainer was J.R. Caldwell. I've never taken a bad step, blah, blah, blah. So the same partners I had on Shiloh Lane. So we get the horse to Saratoga. We go out and watch him train. And he just, he was pretty choppy. Next day, George couldn't even train him. So he um, x-rayed him. Uh, and we scanned them and down in Texas. It, everything seemed fine. It was actually, it was, we did it in Oklahoma. And uh, we, uh, you know, we got them. George trained them two days. And we tried to, to talk to J.R. Caldwell saying, hey, you weren't telling us the truth, one. Two, he must have done something to patch this horse up. Because to this day, he's a, he's a four-year-old now. We bought him as a two-year-old. He has never had an official workout. We got him to close to the workout and he'd get sore. Give him time off, get him back going, same thing. He is back in training now. This is going to be his last go round if he can't get back. But it puts a really sour taste in your mouth because, you know, looking back, I know that he doctored that horse up to make it past the vet. And that's one part of the industry that's bad. And you get burned. You know, I just don't like being a person getting burned and it happened. You know, you try to just move on from it. It's been a money pit. You do live and learn, and I'll know I'll never do business with J.R. Caldwell. And whoever's listening, they probably shouldn't either. So there are that, that's the bad, some bad part of the game. But again, we make mistakes. We make a lot more mistakes than than we do. Uh, I guess we're a lot we're wrong a lot more than we are right. So it gives that he that horse does have a sour taste in my mouth. So I want to I want to transition to another gray horse that uh, probably doesn't give you a sour taste, but I, I dude I just thought about like while we were talking this whole time I thought about four stories that I didn't even think before we did this. So after we talk about this one, we'll go to the stories. I think I, there's a couple of them that I can't wait to have you tell. Um, uh, up in smoke, she's been um, a ton of fun. I know she gets Austin going. He's, he gets excited when she runs. We uh, we pulled over. I picked him up from school one day. And uh, we pulled over. I think it was your second race, the second start um, when Johnny was on her. Where she, the one where she was appeared to be up in smoke. We pulled over at a restaurant and watched her there. So Austin's a huge fan now, and and uh, I'm sure you're happy to get her back in the winner's circle, get her uh, get her stakes placed, and then also uh, it's kind of a new group for you. The 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 fellows, uh, a lot of your boys from back home from from Houston, and. Uh, and I know that that's uh, that means a lot to you to to kind of get going back in the right direction and and to do it with those guys. Yeah, because 
my, my buddy back home, Reagan Swinbank, he, he owned part of joining the dance with me. That was it. And that was it. From then, I've been doing other stuff. And so when we bought her, I went down to Reagan and Will, their brothers, to his 40th birthday. And I talked to Reagan and we were drinking one night and he agreed to buy a piece of her. He got his father and some other people down from Houston that have never been involved before. So she, we bought her last May. And so I put together a new partnership, Rainy Hill, about half. And so it's all first year people. And we couldn't have asked her to have any better of a start to her career than she's had. She won her first three races, Gulfstream. I went to the first two, and then the corona pandemic happened. So the only negative in this whole deal is no one, none of them have been able to go. They didn't go to the first two, and we we're all planning on going to the Tampa stake. They canceled Tampa for the purse money. They canceled those stakes that day. Uh, but you know, during this whole pandemic, there's been no sports on, but she's been running, except for horse racing. So it's been a big bright spot, you know, not only for the partnership, but because of what you know this country's gone through the last several months. And Reagan's been one of my closest friends. So it means the world to me to have First Horse, his dad, and these other guys get in as part of Black Type Thoroughbreds to have a stake winner in our first horse. Like I said before, it's very difficult to buy a good horse. So the first horse you do buy for new people, to go three for three, we try to stretch her out, which was a mistake, come wet right back in three weeks, win a stakes race, and now we're a stakes winner. And she's been everything you could imagine and more. And these guys are excited. I'm happy for them. I'm happier for them than anybody. Um, you know, I've been in it. I've been up the highest of highs, and I've had the lowest of lows. Uh, so for these guys to experience a good horse first time, especially during this pandemic, has been very, very, very fun to have. Are you, um, this is, I've never asked you this question. Are you, are you out now that she's a stakes winner? No, um, I don't think so. I think she's going to have, because she's not a greatest stake winner, but she does have residual value. What that number is, I don't know. Um, I'd have to really look at it, but no, we're not out. She's had, a, what, 140,000, 130,000 career earnings. You know, it costs 60,000 a year to keep a horse in training. So we paid two hundred and thirty a year at two ninety, and so she's earned one hundred and twenty or something. You know that's before you pay the jockey and trainer and etc. Uh, but I think I th- we will get out on her. And you know we got offered a good amount of money after she won the first race and second race. It was just one of those deals where it wasn't enough because these guys are new. They didn't put up that much money each. Uh, it, it wasn't. An, it didn't make sense to say, "Here, you put up ten thousand dollars for a share. Let's. I'll give you back twenty or thirty. And now, now let's go take that money and buy something else that we don't know is going to be very good or not. Now, everything you buy at the time you think is going to be good, or you want to purchase them. But so why take away something we know could be fun? And you know, unless it was, if it's a little more money, I would have done it. Uh, and maybe now uh, is a time to revisit, you know, taking some off the table. She just ran an eight and a half on the sheets, which is a very fast number. So, you know, maybe take some off the table now. But at the time, it was it just didn't make sense. And we've got two or three more wins out of her. And now we get to go to Saratoga, 
running a stake up in Saratoga and hopefully fans will be allowed then to, uh, so they can experience not only Saratoga at the highest level of racing, but see their Philly in action, which they haven't been able to do yet. Hmm. That's exciting stuff. Yeah, no, she's, uh, she's awesome. I'm looking forward to, uh, to her next start. Um, Hey, so this is the story that I thought about. I I didn't, we were talking before about what we, you know, what we could chat about and, uh, Dude, I for- completely forgot the the reason you got kicked out of Jeff Ruby that one time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was whatever year it was, I don't remember. I can't. But it was I I was a guest of Angel Cordero's and um his he was invited to dinner by OJ Simpson to go to Ruby's. So I was tagging along and sure enough, we get there and they wouldn't let OJ eat at their restaurant. So if, if you ever saw OJ at the, at the Derby, I mean, it's, you could sit in a box next to him or around him and people would walk by and OJ, where's your knife, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and I get it. I, I understand the whole dynamic, but uh, my first time meeting OJ Simpson, yeah, we go to, we go to dinner and we couldn't even eat. So they, they were polite about it. They just said that they weren't going to be comfortable serving him and go somewhere else. So, at that time, I wasn't voicing my opinion. I was just a guest, and we ended up eating at Ceviche in Louisville. So it was uh, it was it was it was an interesting it was an interesting weekend. That's the weekend. I don't know if I told you that I met Michael Jordan for the first time and only time. And you know, my dad's business partner was was and is Akeem Olajuwon. So I grew up with Akeem Olajuwon. I'm buddies with Richard Lewis. You know, I, Met everybody through Richard, Dwight Howard, Kobe, all these guys, you know, by going to all the games. So I'll never forget, we go to, is after Ceviche, we go to a Jermaine Dupree's party. I can't remember where it was in Louisville. And I was driving, I drove, OJ was next to me. So we go, I drop him off at the front, I park the car, I go upstairs and I'm with you know, Angel's with me, and I see him. I said, Oh, and I was with my buddy uh, back from Houston. His name was Raj. I said, Raj, hey, that's MJ. The guy that was with OJ says, Oh, you want to meet Mike? I've never been starstruck in my life over a celebrity just because I grew up with dealing with, you know, being around Akeem, who was a god in Houston. And I've never been starstruck in my life until that day, that moment. He came over, shook his hand, hugged it out with him. And I was just, I was on cloud nine. And I just, so my OJ story goes from getting kicked out to he let me meet Michael Jordan, which was a dream at the time, you know. I mean, he's the greatest to ever play the game of basketball. But I'll never, I will never forget hugging Michael Jordan at, at, at that party. Oh, that's great. I, I don't think, maybe you told me that. I, didn't know I don't know if I did you. or not. I don't know if I've told you, but man, that was a, what, what a crazy party. That, that was, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, that was my, my OJ. OJ story, <laughs> Jeff Ruby's. I also like the uh, the story about your dad hanging out uh, hanging out at, uh, in New York when when he had Ruby and he was uh, he was uh, he uh, had a little misunderstanding. <laughs> so he dad liked to bet baseball back in the day. His buddy in the crowd they run around <clears throat> ran around with were the guys you would see out of the Sopranos. So he. Uh, he was at this restaurant, and he said, you know, it's like one of those, you walk down the stairs, they open the a little sliver at the top, 
where your eyes are to see who it is. Okay, yes, you can come in. So my dad was with these guys. My dad kept getting up to go outside, and he was calling his bookie back in back in Texas. He was betting baseball. So one of the guys he was with said, well, what the F are you doing? I'm betting baseball. He said, no, no, no. And he calls a guy over and he says, take his bets. He's good for it. Get st- Stop standing up. Stop, stop walking out of the room. Stay right here. You can bet through. Okay. Dad bet X, Y, Z. He said, I was betting a dime on this, a dime on that, a nickel on this. He said, I thought I had a pretty – because in every night, I'll go up there for two or three nights. So every night, he would bet dime on this, nickel on that. He said, I was doing pretty good. So we're leaving, and the guy says, let's settle up. And Dad said, no, I'm going to be in New York in the next week or two. Let's just just roll it over. So he'd fly back, same thing, dime on this, nickel on that. He said, man, I was killing it. So the third time – he finally says, the guy says, hey, come come with me now. We're going to settle up. So, of course, he says, no, I don't want We don't need to settle up. Just roll it over. And now, John, we're settling up. So they, they take him, he says, in this little basement. And they bring out a duffel bag. And he says, you know, I thought I was, it's a small duffel bag. But he said, I thought I was, you know, up 25000 30000 I didn't know. I wasn't really keeping track. I just knew I was on a roll. And he said there was 250000 in his bag. And he said, you know, back in Texas, a nickel's $500, a dime's 1000 He said there it was 5000 and 10000 So he said he had no idea how much he was betting. And I said, well, what would have happened if that was rules reversed? He said, I probably wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> <laughs> he told me, he said, he said he got so nervous he didn't know what to do. He didn't want to go to an airport with 250000 on him, so he just chartered a plane and <laughs> flew home private with it. It's <laughs> a smart thing to do when you put 250 balls in your lap. What else are you gonna do? No, that was I was, you know, of course I wasn't there. I was young, but that was, that was a pretty, pretty. That was a funny story, especially when he tells it. I thought, uh, I thought, I thought the story with uh, how him, you know, obviously him and Angel were close with with the groovy situation, mm-hmm. but he got groovy or he got uh, Angel a a nice gift one time. Yeah, so. It kind of goes back to our relationship with Angel and Johnny. Uh, my dad had a Philly. She won, and she was, my dad wanted to run in the Demonzel. So if, then she before the, the Demonzel, she, she got beat by a bunch, and my dad said, that's embarrassing to me and my stable. I want you to get rid of her. So they said, well, let's just try her one more time. So he gets a phone call from his racing manager at the time and says, hey, I got – we got Cordero on the phone. He said he would ride Philly in the Demonzo. His name was Goodbye Halo. And my dad's like, well, that's great. And he said, yeah, but I told him you'd buy him whatever car he wanted if you want. So my dad said, yeah, absolutely. He hangs up the phone and he said he called his racing manager and said, you son of a bitch. Why, why would you tell him I'd buy him a car? He said, well, you think this Philly has a shot to win? He said, hell no. He said, then what the f*** do you have to worry about? And he said, yeah, you're right. The horse is 20-something to one and runs off the screen and wins. So dad says he gets a he gets a call about Mr. Cordero was in a Mercedes dealership and wanted picked out this Mercedes. Monday comes around and, and Cordero tells us it's great. He says he got a knock on the door and says, Hey, Mr. Cordero, 
you have a new present outside. Here are the keys of your brand new Mercedes. And the angel says, no, this can't, you know, this has got to be a joke, blah, blah, blah. So he, uh, he calls my dad. He says, you know, thank you for the gesture, but you know, I can't pay the taxes on it. My dad said, well, I'll pay it. No worries, it's yours. I told you I'd give you a Mercedes. So Angel, you know, Angel says, everybody in the world promises everything on the racetrack. If you do this, I'll give you this. He said, nobody follows through. He said, your dad was one of the only people that actually followed through with what he said he was going to do. And he said, so I bring, it's a brand new red convertible. And he said, so when I bring Johnny over from Puerto Rico, he said, Johnny's first car was the red Mercedes. <laughs> so he so just kind of went around full circle with uh you know, Angel went in the race, got a new car, gave it to Johnny. Uh, and then here we are, you know, still close 30 years later, I guess. Oh, that's so funny, man. Um, your dad's still obviously, he's still involved and in, he, you know, he's watching smokes races and, and, uh, loving every minute of it. Yeah. He's still involved as far as, uh, you know, day to day stuff. He's not, uh, you know, that's obviously my job, but, yeah, he loves it. I mean, when the time, you know, we had a, we had a long couple of years before smoke. I mean, we nothing went right for us. And I bought some bad horses, horses I couldn't run, and uh, so just like in anything, he he got a little frustrated. But now he's back, happy. You know, I always tell people when they're getting involved, we may not as a family. You know, I live here. My family's in Texas, but. Every single, other than holidays, the one thing that's brought everybody together was horse racing. Because you get around, you watch your horse run. So up in smoke has been no different. It's been great. All my brothers, sisters, everybody gets together. Not me, I'm up in Kentucky. But down in Texas, and they all watch the races together. So it brings everybody close. You know, and then we may not, everyone won't see each other till Thanksgiving. You know, unless it's a horse race. So it's, you know, it's more than just entertainment. Yes, we try to make money at it, try to, um, but it does bring our family a lot closer together, especially when you have a good one. How did you, uh, how did you, you know, you've, you've had, you had Todd. Um, I'm trying to think of all the trainers you had. Todd, uh, Steve Margolis, Wesley, um, Mott, Rudy, Brissett, and then George. What, what? Am I missing? If I'm missing one, remind me. But then, how, what led you to uh, what led you to George? Well, I knew George. Um, I've known him for a long time through Angel. Uh, but I had we initially went with Todd with Angel, and um, I can't say enough positive things about Todd. I, I, at the time, I just we kind of felt when you're smaller stable, being at the biggest barns, it has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, but George, you know, he worked for Todd. I started buying horses for a client of mine, uh, an old client, and he didn't want a real big trainer at first. I said, well, I think I would send him to George. So I started sending his horses to George before we ever even send George a horse. Um, so I was always in communication with him and at his barn about those other horses. So when we were at Todd, we sent him to Margolis because we wanted to be down in Louisiana since we were living in Houston and that was when Cigar Sheet started. And the guy that had our horse in Ocala, that had him, Cigar Street, coming up a layoff said, Hey, I would, I would send this horse to Bill Mott. Uh, and I never met Bill. So we did that. 
and have, we had very ton of good luck with him. Uh, and over the time, I just kept talking with George more and more, and he just became very, very, very good friend. And I love his operation and his wife's, his whole family. I I adore. Uh, so we've kind of gravitated towards towards George um, more than any other trainer. And I've been very happy, uh, you know, dealing with him. Uh, Rudolph Brissett's a very close friend of mine. I sent him a Philly last year, and I've sent some people I know, rec I've recommended him. And I'll send horses to Rudolph, you know, this year or next year. Uh, I'm not just going to be stuck, you know, just solely with one trainer. I'll always have horses with George. And we've used Mike McCarthy at West Coast um, a couple times. And I would love to get a horse and send to him. I think he's a phenomenal trainer. He's a great person. Uh, I hope he sends a string to, to Kentucky. Since I'm here now, uh, I would love to have a, I would love to have a horse with – if George had a string in Kentucky, it would be perfect. He doesn't right now. So Rudolph does. And um, I partnered with a horse on a horse with – Coolmore one time, and that's how we ended up with Wesley. And then when that horse fizzled out, that was the end of that. Um, but yeah, I just I'm very comfortable with George. I know his program. I don't even have to ask him. I can say how's the horse going, and before he even answers, I, I know the answer. You know, um, so it's it's been it's been good, and I like working the sales with him. You know, we we've had we've had a lot of luck with. Uh, not only for me, but with other other people that I've sent horses to him for. What's the next step for uh, this year? Like, what do you what, what are you guys gonna do with Black Type? Are you gonna are you gonna do uh, are you gonna you know put another partnership together, another group? Are you guys the same group you have gonna go back in and fire again this year? You gonna try to get something off the track, or what, what's the plan? You know, the plan we are gonna we're gonna add one or two more. Like I said, we've never been a, a stable, you know that carried a lot of horses in this business. It is a numbers game. If you go buy one horse, they're, they're slow or they get hurt and you have no action. Right. So you'd prefer to have three or four. We're going to try to add two. Uh, we've made a couple offers on some already off the track. We just couldn't get them done. Um, OBS sales starts tomorrow. And, uh, there's a couple horses that we're going to take a swing at. Um, you know, we, we have our budget. We don't want to go over. So there's a lot. There's 1,300 horses here. And there's the next sale in Maryland in a couple of weeks. So we don't have – if you buy something here, it's going to be very difficult to make Saratoga or Del Mar if that's what you want to do. So it's not – we're not in a dire need to have to get one at this sale. But we are going to – the same guys, a majority of them will re-up the next one since Up and Smoke has done well. I can't speak for all of them, all the partners. There's a couple of new people that now I've seen that I spoke to before Open Smoke. They've passed. They've seen she's done well. They're following it. They see Weaver just won a grade one. So it's funny how, you know, your trainer's doing well, your horse is doing well. People want to people want partner, which is a great thing, you know, because before when you're having, when you're down, your trainer's down, your phone doesn't ring. So, we do have a good group, and, and the partners are a lot of fun. They don't, they don't give you 
the horse doesn't run well, they're not pounding at you saying, what happened, man? Can't believe we spent the money, blah, blah, blah. You're right. So it's been it's, it's very been very good. When she when she didn't rip, run well when we tried to stretch her out, you know, all the partners sent a text, hey, don't worry about it. I know you're upset. You know, we'll get them next time type text. And that's it's very comforting to know that everybody's in your corner, you know, rooting for you. Um, so we, hopefully we do come away with one at OBS. If we don't, it's nothing in the world. We'll, we'll keep looking off the track or we'll go to Maryland uh, at the phase XL here in a couple of weeks and we'll get one there. We'll come away with one, one or two between this, between these next two sales. And, you know, hopefully we get more people that want to, that want to jump in. What I've always done, I typically would buy something and then go out and try to raise the money. It puts a lot of pressure on you because you have to come up with the money, first of all. And, uh, but I, th- I feel like it's easier to say, this is what I have. This is the product. Do you want a piece? Beforehand, hey, put up money. And they would say, well, you know, I've done a couple partnerships before, but I, I would prefer a Philly. I would prefer this. And that kind of distorts your thinking as far as, okay, well, I like this Colt, but I know this guy wants the Philly, so maybe I should not buy the Colt. I need to get the Philly to appease him so he'll put up money. And that's not the right thing to do. I need to go find the best athlete, the best horse we like. So uh, I'm going to buy it, and then I'll go out and uh, try to raise the money. And uh, if I can't raise all of it, then we'll put up our own. We put up our own anyways. We'll just have to put more up. So hopefully hopefully we'll come out of, we'll come out of there with a Philly or a Colt, uh, one or two, one of each hopefully. And so, you know, I think Jake, it's interesting, like our relationship, like I, you know, you talked about like the, the gambling part, like, you know, when we're hanging around having beers or whatever, we're talking about stuff and, you know, you're super inquisitive and I like to think that I'm, I am as well, but we always talk about uh, like the inner workings of like our world. So like the gambling world, you're always asking me questions. Hey, what about this? Why did that pay that? What, wh- why are they doing that? What's the problem with this? These guys are complaining about that. What's the problem? And I've always been able to do the same thing with you when it comes to like the sales and, uh, and the breeding situations. And, and, uh, I've, I've always been interested at, at the, when you pull back that curtain as some of the things that go on and, and, and the sales and the two-year-old sales and, 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 and these transactions, I mean, what, what do you think are some of the things, you know, we talk about reform and things that we can do to fix things, you know, as a horse player, we want to see lower takeout. We want to see lots of different things that can, that can make it a better game. From the sales standpoint, from the, from your standpoint, doing your job, what what could be done in the industry to kind of make your job easier and make your job better? As far as the buying horses out of sales? Yeah, sales are just like, you know, the private mm-hmm. purchases. Obviously, yeah. you talked about your negative experience on the grade of hair, but you also mm-hmm. have told me stories about, uh, you know, just how hard it is, you know, Mm-hmm. buying a two-year-old and training because of some of the funny business that goes on. Yeah, I mean, there, there's – everybody knows there's funny business. Um, there's no regulation, right? You don't have, a, have to have a license to go buy a horse. You just show up and get credit, you can buy a horse. People's livelihoods are made on selling horses. So they're going to do whatever they have to do to sell the horse. They don't want to get stuck to go racing. Uh, and – there, there are a lot of deals that get done beforehand, during. I'm not saying they're all shady, but there, in any business, bad things do go on and happen. I don't know how you'd be able to oversight a sale. I, I think uh, public disclosure, who owns the horse, would be a start. You, know, you, you see a lot of people that 
that sign fake names. And in all fairness, I mean, I've signed fake names before. And, but some people think, you know, for, there, was a, there was an article in Blood Horse today that the Heidelbrocks bros are selling to two-year-old sell. There's a lot of people that are going to say, you know what, Why, if they really like a horse, they don't want to sell it. They'll race it if they liked it. So they probably are selling a horse they don't really like. So and that's why people will sign fake names. They don't want people to know who owns it. And, you know, you got to think that I don't love the two-year-old sale process because they're pounding on these babies. They're doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing. Now, I've had success buying from them. But there's a date, and that date is, you know, June 9th. So they have to sell that day. They have to make the brief show the week before. Well, if they have hiccups, what happens? They can't just back off the horse because if you miss the sale, you can't sell it. We're in racing. You got to jog in front of a state vet and you're not supposed to use drugs. And guess what? Oh, you got to miss this race. That's fine. We're going to race a month from now. A sale, that, they, that doesn't happen. So they press on these babies and they'll mask stuff as well. So you got to, and I don't know how to do it other than, yeah, you can take a drug test, which they do offer that. You do have your vet look at them. So in that part of it, it's, I don't know how more regulation, I don't know what else you could do at sales. It's the same with the yearling sales. These foals or we, you know, they're, they're crooked and they put screws in them to try to straighten their legs up. Well, that's not natural. But if they don't do it, then horse toes way too much out, you know, et cetera. That's just a little example. They don't bring enough, enough, as much money. Well, I don't, that's not good for horses either. It is difficult. Not only you're dealing with some deals that have already been done, the two-year-old sales. Uh, you're also now competing with the Wind Stars, Starlights, that those big conglomerates, right? They haven't been focused on two-year-old sales. Just an example. So if a horse breezes well, has pedigree, vets fine for you. You can't compete with these guys. And now you got these billionaires that are all partnering. So you have two or three billionaires, two or three huge people partnering. You have no chance to outbid them. So it's been very difficult to buy horses with a lot of pedigree, jump through all the hoops. So now you're saying, okay, well, let's go find the best athlete. I don't care about pedigree. You know, we paid 230000 for Up and Smoke, which is a lot of money. Uh, but she was by a first-year sire called, called named the Big Beast. So it wasn't like they were – oh, my God, we got to go buy a big beast. That's not the same as an American Pharaoh or even a run happy this year. So on that standpoint, it's very hard competing with the big people that have unlimited budgets that are now partnering with each other instead of competing with one another. So that, that's been the biggest hurdle, uh, in my opinion, is trying – and people do find their value as yearlings – but the two-year-old sales is pretty difficult to find pedigree, well-pedigreed horses that breeze well and that can pass you back. That's been the most difficult thing. So we, we focused on mainly make sure the pedigree is okay and let's make sure the horse is an athlete. You know, it's, you know, but it's the same as you know, we talk about all the time. Do Are people taking an edge? Trainers, some trainers do. It's the same as two-year-old sales. Some are trying to take an edge more than others. Some, most don't get caught. They don't have the drug program like they do in, uh, you know, in racetracks. Um, of all the races, you know, I mean, obviously, 
I mean, I, I think I know the answer. And if if it is the answer, I'm going to make you give another one. But what if you could win any race, uh, what race would, would it be? Um, I'd probably have to say what everybody else would say, the Kentucky Derby. All right. If it's not that one, which one is it? Um, I would say it would be any Breeders' Cup race. And the main reason is because it's on the biggest stage of the world. Everybody's watching you. It's on NBC. Everybody's there. You have to qualify to get there, and you're running against the best of the best. And I always think it's – it's uh, it, for the sport, it's better uh, to run the best versus the best. And that's – you know, like the Kentucky Derby prep races, everybody spreads out. They don't want to run against each other but you know, because they all were trying to get to the Derby. And so I understand that point. So, but I, I do like you know, races where six or seven really good horses can win. And so if I had to win any race, it'd be a Breeders' Cup race. Was that – when you guys ran Cigar Street, was that – I know you told me about that whole setup you guys had. Was that your one of your favorite racetrack experiences? Or, I mean, have you had some other ones that, that rank higher? For a, for a race day experience, having that chalet just past just next to the Winter Circle at Santa Anita was the greatest seats I've ever had other than floor seats for an NBA playoff game. If you ever have front row in an NBA game, those are the best seats, in my opinion, of any sporting event. Uh, you can sit behind home plate, 50-yard line, football game. Um, floor seats at an NBA game, to me, are very special. Uh, that chalet at Santa Anita is the second best that, that I've ever been around. So I would so yeah, it was a, a one-day, two-day experience. If you had that, it was it, I, I'll never forget. Irad Ortiz won his first Breeders' Cup, and Angel was with us. You know, and he idolizes Angel, and he ran up the stairs because he knew Angel was sitting there and hugged Angel right after the winter circle. I'll just never forget that. All the camera crew were there. The, the lady in the media is yelling, saying he needed to go back in the in the room to do an interview at the tables or wherever they do it. But he sat up there and was talking with Angel in Spanish, and I'll just never forget that day. It was an unbelievable experience, and he took really good care of us and the Breeders' Cup. It was other than not winning the Breeders' Cup Classic, I man. That was that was an unbelievable weekend. You know, we've had, the, the Breeders' Cup has been fun, man. The one we had in Del Mar that was that was a good time too. Uh, Pipes had that big pop uh, on Gun Runner, and we were all sitting on that uh, that veranda. Veranda. Which is, to me, I love. I love. I think the veranda is the best seat in racing where you can't see the racetrack. Like of all the places that you can post up in the world of racing, that's my favorite one that you can't see the racetrack. Yeah, I, there or the place that uh, you and Pete get at Saratoga by the, by the uh, paddock. The secret the, spot. Yeah. Well, not even the secret spot. Just like you're talking about like just along the rail against the paddock. Yeah. If you you have about- a, no, you have that uh, along the rail. If you have the table so you can see all the horses. Uh, now Del Mar, you can see it better because you're elevated on the veranda, and you know you got the Mexican restaurant, so you're sitting there drinking, you know Coronas. We had chips and dip, and so yeah, I, now Saratoga has Shake Shack, but uh, I agree. I, I think that veranda was 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 very special. That was a lot of fun. That that the Breeders Cup, they do an unbelievable job hosting hosting events, and that that was a that was the only time I've sat up there at that veranda, and it was it was a lot of fun. Man, I'm I'm missing going to the racetrack. That's like, 
you know, I mean, I'm, I think mean, more than some people, like I'm, I'm kind of handling this all right. Like, I just, I'm just, you know, I, I'm always on the go anyway. So like this, like little two month break, it's, it's, you know, it's just kind of been nice to like be at home and to like organize that, that cabinet that like, I just don't care about cause I'm never here type of deal. And so it's been nice to kind of be here, but man, I, dude, I miss going to the track that I, I missed that we didn't get to go to Keeneland. Like that's my favorite man coming there and hanging out and then, you know, you and I meet at Drake's or Malone's or wherever at at at, uh, at eleven and get some potato skins and pipes is there carrying on, and then next thing you know, we're head over to the green room. And I just, man, I I I miss going to the racetrack. Uh, it's and the, just the camaraderie around you know other guys that you know you only see a couple times a year, right? So you go to the green room, and I've been lucky enough to go in there with you and. Uh, you see the guys at the other tables, you recognize them, you know, just BS for that weekend. And, you know, you wait again till, till October and do it again and do it again in April. And that's a, that, that, that's a really neat room as well. And that, that's comparable to the other racetracks. And you're the same way I am. You know, Keeneland's very, very traditional. They want you wearing coat and ties. I prefer not to. So the green room is a great spot where you don't have to do that. Saratoga, Del Mar, the veranda, you don't have to do it. And I, I mean, the big day is fine, coat and tie. If I have a horse in, that's fine. But I do think you should be able to go to a sporting event, racetrack, and be very comfortable. And when it's hot outside and you're on the lawn at Keeneland and it's burning up and you're in a coat and tie, that's not very comfortable to be in the clubhouse hot in the coat and tie and not have a, you know, a good spot to sit and be comfortable. Uh, but, I mean, Keeneland's a special, special place, and I love the tradition there. I had to do one racetrack. I'm going to Saratoga. Are you excited about the July meet in uh, at Keeneland? I mean, that should be fun. You live in Lexington, so I, I, I mean, I don't, obviously you, they probably won't be open to fans, but yeah. Um, I mean, they, they're opening the they're open to owners at Churchill now, so I'd imagine maybe a, a you know a half a month from now, a month from now, um, I'm sure owners will be alive. You know, I hope so because you know even if like what Churchill's doing is great, but you get an owner plus one. Well. I would rather sit with you and five buddies at Drake's watching on TV, be around my friends and family. So to say, hey, I'm going to go, and they're making you leave right after your race. And I understand it. I mean, you know, baby steps, right? So hopefully by Keeneland, they will allow more than just, you know, two owners. You know, hopefully it's, look, at every other box or every five boxes, people can sit with their friends and family and, I know the restaurant situa- situation is a tricky, a tricky part, but I'm excited about Keenan meat. I just I want to watch it on TV, and you know you can, you know if you get your temperature and everything, you can go watch horses train at Keenan in the morning. Which you know, for me personally, I'd rather go out in the mornings watch horses train than than, than the afternoons. I have just as much fun uh, in the mornings as I do, especially at Saratoga. That's just a different different story altogether. Uh, but yeah, I, I am excited about Keeneland. It's going to be five days, 10 stakes in five days. I think it's a great thing that they work together with Ellis to get this done. I am very much looking forward to, even if I don't go to Keeneland, if they don't allow fans, just, just to have racing at Keeneland again, it's racing is not the same without Keeneland. You know, obviously what's going on at, <clears throat> what's going to go on at Saratoga is still kind of up in the air, but, uh, you know, you've you've gone a number of times and spent the whole summer up there, and I know that that uh, going there in general is is something you always enjoy doing. 
what what do you think what do you think that experience is going to be like if they don't have fans like what's your what's your kind of your saratoga prediction on how it's going to all go down yeah, i think it's it's horrible in a sense i mean the communities is they're going to lose tons of money i can't imagine you know the people that have second homes that they move away for six weeks, seven weeks to allow people to use their homes and rent them. And I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, hopefully by then they're going to allow fans, uh, even owners, you know, but again, if you're an owner and they only allow a couple people, you know, now what happens is the owners bring all their friends. And so you have, you know, you look at every winter circle, there's 15 people. So when you say you're going to limit it, are people really going to go just to watch their horse run and there's no vendors, can't buy food, can't buy drinks, no betting machines? If they do that, who's going to go? Uh, I won't. You know, I'd rather, like I said, I'd, I'd go sit at Druthers and uh, you know bet on, on, the, on my app and you know, try to go in the mornings if they're going to allow training in the morning. If they don't, if the owners aren't allowed to go in the mornings, I don't, I don't, I don't see a purpose to go to Saratoga. I hope that in two months or six weeks, eight weeks, what are we? We're about six weeks away, aren't we? I hope that they're going to have some new protocols, and I don't think they will at first, but you know, maybe by August first, and uh, then they're they'll, they'll allow fans and. And slowly, and then you know, next summer we'll be back 100. Yeah, hopefully, you know, you know, you'd like to think that the the test usually takes part in like the second half. So, I mean, I know it's all wishful thinking, but it's it's always something to uh, it's always something to try to to uh, to look forward to. Um, it, it'd be a shame if we uh, if up and smoke is good enough to be able to run in one of those graded stakes. To not be able to go just it's just a, it's just a tad deflating because, like I said, I got these new owners, you know, and the reason they do it is to go and enjoy it, and they haven't been able to do that yet. So they're yeah, they're they're enjoying the experience, they love it so far, but you know, if they actually got to go to the races, and watch her in person, especially Saratoga. You know, they would they'd be inclined to most likely spend more money and, and get more involved in the sport rather than just being a being involved from afar. So one of our boys came through with a good story for me to ask, but before I tell you, before I ask that story, how, how did you meet the man infamously known as pipes, Chris Pippito? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, White Rose won a race at Saratoga. And, uh, afterwards, I was with Cordero and we, Angel and I go to, he wanted to go his Friday night and they do it. They did a thing and, uh, they do a, at the convention center Friday night, maybe it was HBO or Showtime and they did Friday night fights. So Angel said, I want to go to the fights. So I tagged along with Angel and we go get a hot dog. And the guy walks up and says to Angel, man, Angel, Johnny just gave a beautiful ride on that Philly white rose today. Snap me out of the pick five, blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking like, geez, who is this nut? And I, <laughs> you know, I didn't know. I was just like taken back. And Angel says, tell him that he's the owner. And he says, you're Jake Ballas? And, and obviously, I'm not 
to the ownership line with <laughs> myself and, and Richard Lewis. So he knew I wasn't Richard. Uh, hey, you're Jake Dallas? I said, yeah. So he started talking. I could tell Angel's kind of getting antsy to go back to his seat. So we go sit in our seats. Next day, I get to the races a little early, going up the escalator towards the clubhouse. This guy's going down the escalator. And it was Chris, same guy from the night before, about at the boxing match. And so he says, hey, I'm going to be at the Shake Shack bar. Come holler. I said, okay. And I was by myself. I went up there that weekend by myself. So <clears throat> a couple races in, I go down to the Shake Shack bar, and he's there. So I'm talking to him. And you know, nobody knows Chris. The guy's like, he's an encyclopedia. And he's one of the greatest guys and one of my best friends in the world now. But I didn't know him then. So I'm talking to him, and he is blowing me away with his knowledge, where I'm kind of like a little bit insecure, like this guy I met at this thing, this boxing match, and now I'm hanging out. And he said, oh, it'd be a dream just to go to to go to the backside one day. I said, well, yeah, I'll bring you to the backside, not a problem. And, you know, I don't even think it was that meat. I think if you fast forward a year, I see him again. And I said, I remember you want to go to the backside. So well, I'm gonna, I got a horse working tomorrow. You know, I'll pick you up. And, and I think it was 5:45 in the morning. So sure enough, man, this guy, I'm, I'm, I'm outside the entrance of the Oklahoma track. This guy parked, and he's kind of now jogging towards my car, and he's like in sweats. So he gets in the car, and I swear he'd probably not even been asleep. And I, I didn't know him at the time, you know, so. So we wait for Cordero, and Angel gets there, and he says, now we're in this golf cart. We're driving around, and you've been there with us with Angel, and everybody knows Angel. So, man, Chris is, man, would you believe this? I mean, here I am. I'm just a bartender, and I'm on a golf cart with Angel Cordero and Jake Ballas in the backside of Saratoga. Through the way he talks, right? I can't really imitate him. So... <laughs> You know, I'm like, this guy didn't sleep last night. He's in sweatpants. He's over here. But everybody we drove by, he knew who they were. Now, he may not know them personally, but he knew who they were. Every jockey, every trainer, horse. I mean, it was the most unbelievable. So then we go down to, you know, I would see him at the races. And then the next thing I knew, he was down in Florida and just kind of started hanging out with them then. And he would go to dinner with Angel. And, you know, I just remember telling him, hey, you are you know every single horse. You could tell Chris, uh, hey, do you remember this horse ran three years ago? He will tell you the fractions of the race, who rode, who the owners were. It's pretty unbelievable. So I said, you need to be a jockey agent, man. You know everything. So Angel helped him out and got him Angel Cruz to get going. And the rest is history. We've just been very, very, very close. I root for him all the time. Uh, I know he needs to get some winners right now at Laurel, but he's going to bounce back and eventually he's going to have the top one of the top riders. Cause he's that, I think he's that good. No, he, yeah, no, I, I, I tell him all the time, man. He just, you know, he's got to stay the course. I, I think he's uniquely talented for that job. And, uh, you know, people that meet Chris, they love him. And, and, yeah. and the thing about Chris is he's like, he's not like, he, he can still be brash and people still love him. You know, <laughs> you know I mean? like, you're exactly right. The, the, the thing that's holding him back, I think, but it should help him. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. And he'll tell a trainer, hey, there's a spot open, claiming 16, and the trainer will take offense and think the horse is 
you know, good enough to run for 30, right? And then they'll go run for 30, get killed. They get mad at Chris for suggesting 16, but he was right. Uh, so I, if he, I always tell him, man, you got to just play both sides, man. Make them think they're all your friends. I just, I'm just honest. I just say what I think. I, I understand. That's a good trait. <laughs> but some some trainers don't like that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have him on at some point. Um, oh, and the, the only thing about it, and I should probably do it before like we before like the show gets starts getting like sponsors and stuff. <laughs> well, well, probably just you're gonna have to have a a sensor button, and I don't know how how long you can go and understand the sentences because there's gonna be a lot of beep 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're going to have to talk, talk to him and bring it down to a, a PG-13 level. So he gave me one. He gave me two stories to get you to tell. One of them, he tells it really good, but I'm going to, you know, we're, I'm going to let you give this one because it doesn't, he, you know, he, the reason he tells the story is good. And I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do when I have him on, but he does a phenomenal Angel Cordero impression, mm-hmm. which in this weird day and age, I think that, that I would have to fully qualify the fact that him and Angel are very good friends and that he's not making fun. It's just it's him and Angel are friends and he's just doing the the impersonation of Angel. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like uh you know, he's not like he's running around in blackface or something like that. So <laughs> no. uh, and I'm allowed to make that joke. Um the the salt and tar story. Oh <laughs> this is it's uh Angel, Chris, myself, and George Weaver. We go to we go to Salt and Chard. Angel's late, of course. He he's late. And he ordered everybody orders steaks. Angel says, "Well, I got a, I have a date at home." And I, I told her I had to go meet y'all for business. She wasn't very happy about it. But I needed I need to order a steak to go, so he gets a, a ribeye rare. That's what she wanted. So we put and it, we put all of our waiter comes out when we're done getting checked. Angel says, "Where's my food?" He says, "It's right there." He points at it. Okay, good. So then George boxes up his to go uh, or leftovers. I'm sorry to take home, and I did the same. So we leave, and Angel says he gets he gets back home, and he was trying to turn something on TV, and he said, "Oh, honey, I, I got you a steak, medium rare, like you like it." And I can't imitate Angel's voice, but it's just like you like it, it's right there. So she opens it up. Said, what is what is this? You think I'm a dog? And what do you mean, babe? It's medium rare ribeye, just like you ordered. <laughs> the the next. It was the leftovers, right? I can't believe you think this of me. And the next morning, I go to the barn, and I'm with Angel, and Weaver says, man, Angel, and Weaver had a lab, uh, a, a white a white lab. The, his name's totally, I've completely forgot the horse's name. Uh, uh, dang, act like his buddy. He says, man, Angel, buddy loves you. He's your best friend. He had a full ribeye rare last night. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Oh man, I, I'm dying laughing." I mean, he was he was already in the doghouse, and he escaped to come meet us. And this girl 
He was he was so happy. He said, I got it just how you liked it, medium or rare ribeye. He said, I'm trying to plug in the Nintendo to the to the TV, and she starts yelling. And then it goes on. So he says he finally talks her off the ledge then. And he said he's laying he's laying in bed trying to sleep, and his phone keeps ringing. So the, the, the date at the time says, why does your phone keep ringing? It's midnight. He says, oh, honey, I'm a jockey agent. It's probably a trainer in Dubai calling me. <laughs> and he said she backed herself up and left. <laughs> and like, Man, I'm sorry. Y'all couldn't understand me. I'm dying laughing. Probably oh, oh, man, I, I swear, man. Buddy, old old buddy had a ribeye that was supposed to be for the girl. I was, can't make that stuff up. What, uh, what, uh, why people don't know this. And actually, Angel, not Angel, but Ruben was on um, Naomi's show on our network and told the story about how much Angel loves video games, but you've seen it firsthand as well. Oh, him and Pipes. I mean, Angel's worse than Chris, but I mean, he's better at games, but he, um, Wherever we go, because I, if we go to Gulfstream, Saratoga, I always meet him there, help him set up his the house for a lot, not not every time, but a lot of it. He always, he has two TVs. He has one TV that has all the racing on, and the second TV for his Xbox or PlayStation or whatever it is. You know, I don't whatever system it is. He plays all the time, and he plays, and then when the race, he press pauses, watches the race, goes back to playing video games. So Chris would come over, we'd go to dinner, and Chris and Angel would play till two in the morning, one in the morning. I go to bed very early, you know, nine thirty, ten, and I'd always go in the room, and then you just hear Chris and Angel yelling. Or it's the most. I never got into video games for some reason. Uh, I know they're very popular, but it's to me to watch Angel, who's seventy six years old, just play video games. I mean, it's. I mean, I love it for him. It's something for him to do other than, you know, just watch racing. But I've just, I've never seen a 75-year-old man play video games and enjoy it. And he's good at it. And I mean, he acts like he's 25 years old, which is good for him. I went over there for dinner in Saratoga with him one time. Me and uh, George Weaver and I went went to dinner and uh, he he was playing and he was like having a like a panic attack when I had got there because accidentally – they had deleted he had deleted all of his horses you know and, and gallop racer or whatever he had a whole stable and he had deleted all his horses and he <laughs> was so upset he's like oh man he was so upset that he deleted all of his horses i felt so bad for him i could i could have a whole nother show dedicated for five hours with you and talk angel stories and they wouldn't get old he's he's got the biggest heart of anyone now if you cross him that Puerto Rican comes out in him with that attitude and he holds a grudge. I'll tell you what, and he'll admit it. Um, you know, just so don't, so be careful. Don't cross him. If you get him on the show, don't make him mad. No, oh, dude, I can't wait for that one. I'm, I'm saving him for when I, uh, you know, I have video. So I'm going to, if you do a video show with him, Oh man, it would be, uh, oh, just go to his house and uh, play video games and do it. Then. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, all right, one of the other ones I want to get to is, and I don't even know this one, uh, Pipes told me, is 
<laughs> ask him about when he was going to send a horse to McCarthy, but he called the wrong mic. Oh, this is a this is very embarrassing. I um we had a horse with Mott and I was partners with Saul Kuman on it. The horse just wasn't going on. So he says, let's send the horse to to Mike McCarthy in California. You know, maybe not as gonna be as tough as New York, blah, blah, blah. So I said, that's fine. So I said, I'll arrange it. So I called, I looked at my phone and it said Mike Todd's assistant. So I called it. I answered. I said, "Mike, hey, this is uh, this is Jake Ballas. You know, I have this horse, and I really didn't let him talk. Like I just kept talking, you know. And I, I got this horse. I want to send you. This is the name of the horse. I don't know if you know. He's like, yeah. And I was like, God, Lee, man, I didn't, I've known you know Whitey's what they know. I said, I've known Whitey. I just didn't really remember this Irish accent. I think this guy's Irish. It didn't sound like it's an American, but I said, whatever. I said, you know, I just think it's going to be towards the end of the conversation. or it's one-sided. I said, you know, we want to send the horse to you. And, you know, I think it's going to be a little easier, you know, maybe a little easier uh, a circuit, you know, so we'll get them to California. And I hear California. And I looked at my phone and I said, well, Mike McCarthy? He said, this is Michael Dilger. <laughs> I, said, I said, oh, no. I said, you know, I, I said, like, I, I don't even know why I had your number in my, I, I didn't know how I had his number in my phone, but I'm over here calling this other trainer saying, Saul Kuman and I are sending you this horse that we paid a lot of money for. <laughs> and he said, I said, sorry, man, if I come across another one, I'll, I'll <laughs> but I've never, man, my face, I, it, I turned red easy, but man, my face was bright red. I've never been so embarrassed. You know, I just, Chris tells the story. He's like, oh, I bet this Dilger's like, I'm about to get a horse or Saul Kuman, you know? And, but Angel always liked Mike Dilger. So I, I guess he gave me his number one time. I, I honestly, I don't know how I had it or, I don't know. Anyway, they said, yeah, I called Mike Dilger, told him we we're sending him a horse, and then realized that it wasn't. I thought it was Mike McCarthy. And I swear, I said, man, this doesn't sound like an American you know, accent. So, that was pretty embarrassing. Felt bad. Man, I just wanted to send him horses. <laughs> you feel like you want to go claim for over ten? <laughs> yeah. and just I just, I, I was embarrassed as could be, man. I, I don't know, Mike. It was embarrassing. Oh man, that's tough. So what? Um, what's? Uh, let me ask you. Can I ask you a question? What's yeah, your sure. what's conversation? Gonna, yeah, what, what's going to happen? Uh, what's going to happen? With the Derby with and with Baffert's horses with Charlatan in that deal, like in your opinion. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously Nadal's retired, so he won't be running. Um, Charlatan, they said, won't make it back in time for the Derby. So will Baffert only have one horse? Yeah, I mean, I guess Authentic. I mean, they ran fast. Authentic and Honor, and Honor AP, they were they ran really fast. Um, you know, Authentic. He seems to still be a little bit green, so I think he could probably continue to grow up and still be still be fine. You know, I mean, a lot of horses run second in races and still go on to win the Derby. You know, I think he's he's kind of a work in progress. I think he'll continue to to kind of trend the right direction. And then, um, did you watch? Did you see Cezanne, the 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 expensive horse one? 
I did. I did see that. I didn't look at the uh, figures or anything. It wasn't that fast, but it was six and a half. So, you know, there's always a, an opportunity for, you know, when they start going. For, I mean, look, you don't buy a horse for three point whatever million and then say, oh, this is, you know, six and a half <laughs> right between the eyes. You know, you figure that longer, the better for him. So, you know, I'd imagine Baffert will end up, you know, and he'll probably he'll probably got some other freaky thing, too, sitting in the in the wings that he'll he'll unveil at some point. So. Do you think that the Derby this year will have an asterisk by it? In your, in your um, yeah. eyes? No, I mean, I still think it'll be, I mean, I think the Triple Crown will, but, sure. um, you know, if someone, if Tis the Law wins the, you know, he should gallop in the Belmont if he wins the Belmont. And then, because Maxfield announced today that he's not going, if if uh, if he wins the, you know, if he wins the, the Belmont, the Derby and the Preakness. But, but the, you know, the other thing is like, to me, Barkley Tag, if he wins the Belmont and the Derby, I don't know why. I mean, why is he going to run the Preakness? Like, well, he just, he feels like he would just give him time and then train him up to the Breeders' Cup Classic, right? I mean, what's the... That's what I would do. I, so, I, will, I will not be rooting more. I, I would say, I'll be rooting more for Tis Lotto and the Derby as I have any horse other than my own in 2009 to win the Kentucky Derby just because of Angel and, uh, and Manny. You know, that was, you know, Angel losing Johnny this year. It would be a big, big deal for him to win a Kentucky Derby with Manny. And I don't think it would be interesting to see. I mean, I bet you there's – obviously it's never been done, right? The, the, jo- the jockey won the Derby, and he's an agent for a jockey won the Derby, and to do it with two jocks. I mean, obviously that's never been done, right? Um, you know, I bet you maybe Ron Anderson's probably done that. Well, but he wasn't. No, but he didn't win the Derby himself. As oh, well. he didn't win the Derby. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. No, yeah. he sure I'm did. Saying, I'm saying Angel won the Derby, and then he has Johnny yeah. too, and then Manny. Yeah, Richie McLeary said on the show, I think that Angels won three Derbies as a rider and two as a as an agent, and then this would be it'd be great, you know, if you got the third one. Can so. you imagine the story with the wooden saddle if Manny gets to wear gets to ride with the wooden saddle and wins a Kentucky Derby? Who has the saddle now? Did Angel get it back? You know, I don't. I, I think he got it back. Um, I don't. I can't verify that. I will get back to you on that. Uh, but if if anyone's going to wear or ride with it, it's going to be Manny. Are you going to go to the? If they have fans, are you going to go to the Derby? Are you going to go with me? No, I'm going to be at Saratoga. I'll be working. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I I'd imagine I would go. Um, I hope so. Stinks, you know, unless, man. It's like my, my this would be my I think this would be my twelfth. I'm gonna miss it. So I just have if, to if, chalk if, it up. If tis the law, you know, knock on wood, going in there in good order, I'll go because I don't want to I don't want to not be there for Angel in case in case Manny wins. Have I ever told you my Angel story from the Derby? The Orb in Arizona. Yeah, dude. So I, I just started like, you know, kind of getting into it, I guess. Well, I'm not fully started, but you know, just, I didn't, didn't know nearly the you know amount of people I know now. And so, um, you know, we, had, you know, we used to do this thing where we would buy uh second floor tickets, like section 222. They were like 300, 400 bucks, whatever it was. And then right after a race is over, there's a bunch of people that are like kind of going back into the grandstand inside. And right when that happens, when the race is over, you can just kind of jump that little guardrail and be onto the third floor. And then we would just be on the third floor walking around. And then we would like walk over to where actually the, the, the time that I, th- I think it's the first time we met, which we can talk about too. 
like on that third floor, just where everyone stands, like, you know, in those boxes or whatever. And so we just used to sneak up there and hang out up there. So we're hanging out there, me and Robert, and I don't know who we, who we had with us, but so I, I go and I get in line. I bet everything around Verrazano, 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 all this stuff. And then I get back. I think I saw Angel walk up and I don't think I really even needed to bet anything, but I just wanted to just like go stand by Angel Cordero for a second, like while he was doing whatever and just see if like something cool happened. And he goes up and he bets like 500 on Orb. And I was like, oh, damn. Because Johnny was riding Verrazano. But he had to he had to take off to to stay loyal to Todd and let's go and, and Verrazano. And I was like, oh, damn. But it was too late. I couldn't change anything. I couldn't I couldn't change my, you know, I couldn't change my mind. And so that was my first Angel experience. Well, there's a little more <clears throat> to that story. He did not want to get off of Orb. So, yes, it was to stay loyal to those guys. <clears throat> I had just moved to, to, to Lexington, and I was friends with, still am, with Charlie O'Connor over at Coolmore. And Andre Lynch kind of took me under his wing and taught me some things about horses and a lot of things. And that, was during, that was during the time of Arizona on Orb. He didn't want to get off Orb. So I said, well, just tell him you want to, you know, tell him you want a breeding right, you know, for Johnny. I don't know. Should Phipps is whatever, you know, they won't do that. So, so well, you just need to ask. And I'll ask the guys over at Coolmore. We can't get Johnny one. And, uh, whoever gives you one, that's who you should ride. You like or better. So sure enough, they want to do it, and uh, the other side, Verrazano side, they did. So that was the that was the deciding factor. Which, looking back on it, it was a, probably a bad business move, but it was the right move at the time, right? As far as the horse, you know, Verrazano not working out well as a sire, and so forth. But that ended up being the the main the main factor was in every you know majority of those the big stallions the jockeys get breeding rights and uh for some reason johnny hadn't really got any and i think that was the first one the second one was race day because i bought race day and when he went to stud i made sure to make sure the owner gave johnny one unfortunately he never won a grade one it's not a big sire but um i think those are johnny's only two for people that don't know, how does that work? How does that breeding right thing work? If you, if you if you end up you know if you work that out for a rider, uh, so say, you know, I think you told me Mike Smith has one with Justify. So like, how, how does that how does that work with with they can with sell that, it? With that you know, they can they can sell it every year, or if they had a mare, they can use it for free. So it's just extra income from the jockeys. Like I don't remember who was riding Constitution, but you know they're trading at about a million dollars right now. So if they had one, they could just sell it, a lifetime breeding right. Oh, a lifetime breeding right trading at a million. I was like, yeah, he, I mean, like, yeah, John, like, he had, no, no, but they buy it and then that person gets it, you know. Um, yeah, uh, that was Javier, Javier. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if Javier got one. Who wrote him last? Uh, Javier wrote him last, but Joel wrote him oh, last. Oh, so they may not have done anything. I'm, I have no idea. But you know, I I know Mike I know Mike Smith has has a bunch. 
So in speaking, the of mm-hmm. speaking of constitution, and, and I know you, you obviously have a good relationship with Todd. Like, what, what do you think it is about Todd's situation that, that he's got all those stallions? I mean, he is a stallion making son of a gun. So I think, you know, when you hire Todd, that, that's, that's one of the big things you're trying to get done with him. And, and Todd, that and Todd understands that he want he's going to make a sire for you. That, that that's what big people win star etc. That's why they go to Todd. Uh, I think Todd's an exceptional trainer. He's one of the most organized trainers that I've been around that I've seen. Um, you know he's got a good pedigreed horses, but you know there's a lot of people that have good pedigreed horses. But Todd gets the most out of them early. He knows how to. Yeah, and there's going to be a bunch of them that don't make it. Same with Baffert. You know, they start with a lot of them, and they're in Todd's main goal. For and, and it's and if you ask Todd if that's what he would prefer to do, I don't know if he would say that's what he would want to do. But they send him horses to get to the Derby, right? So in order to get there, you're going to win a Grade One most likely to get to the Derby, and then you're going to be a sire. Now, why are Todd's horses so much? You know succeed as sires you know i don't know the answer to that like you know we've we've talked about it before todd's horses have gone on to be a lot better sires than say baffert why is that i have no idea is it the pedigree maybe you know know, baffert has what bayern did he train indian charlie that was a good one i don't remember if he did but anyways uh I, i don't know if it has to do with pedigrees or I, I don't know the answer of why Todd's sires are better or, or the horses he trained or become better sires than say Baffert. I don't know. I don't know that answer, but he is a sire. Like you said, sire making machine. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, it's interesting how that works. I've always found that that whole stallion game to be really interesting. Like talking to you about it for and talk to Bernick about it. And it's just a, it's an yeah. interesting, interesting it's same, ball. I think it's the same as trying to go buy a horse, right? Nine out of ten aren't going to make it. You know, they, but they have formulas. You know, when they go buy a sire, I think it's around like three or four hundred mares times initial stud fee for the first three years. Blah blah blah. And they they get out on the horse in three years before they know if it's how bad or good it is. So they're not getting crushed. To say, you know, we go spend five hundred thousand on a horse and they can't run, you gotta run it for fifty. What year is it they say is the most important, like the third year, because nothing's run yet? Yeah, well that's the like, hardest like hardest year to like get a bunch of mares. Cause that that's when they're starting to run. Uh, they're gonna tell you to they're gonna prove you wrong or prove you right. What um well, We'll we'll wrap it up with this one. What what do you think about that new rule with the, the limiting the mares thing? Uh, or limiting the to how many mares? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's a terrible thing. You know, the argument is free enterprise. We should be able to breed as many as you want. It's a business, and you know, trainers they should have as many horses to train as they want. I don't know if that's a fair comparison. I think overall, it's probably in the long run, it may be good. It's going to give more stallions a chance to make it. You know, back in the day, they used to only breed like 40 or 50. Um, so it's probably better in the long run. You know, I'm not a big breeder on, on that side. So I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. 
you know, same thing with trainers. If you limit them to, you can only have a hundred horses to train. Is that good or bad? Well, it would create fuller fields in my opinion. You know, you're not going to have, for instance, like Chad and Todd, they're probably say they're sitting on 10 horses, 15 horses that are all eligible for the same condition, right? So they're going to pick one to run. Where if they were spread around, you'd get, you know, fuller fields. And I, I don't have a strong opinion one way or, one way or another on that. Um, I, I, I can really look at it from both sides and, and make an argument. It's kind of similar to Lasix. I see it on both sides. Um, we used to not run on it back in the day. And all this argument of, well, every other country, or you know, they don't run on it. Well, they train on it. They, they use it in the mornings. So they never they, they always fail to bring that point up about Lasix. And that's their big debate. We got a lot of other issues in our sport other than Lasix. And, you know, it's a – Chester Thomas had a very good – opinion letter in the TDN the other day about Lasix and being an owner, you know, if you bleed, you just, you just get stuck, right? Like we go spend say 200,000 on a horse and he's a bleeder. Well, but then we can't run him because he's bleeding. But if you give him Lasix and you can, then you can make money on him, right? So that, there's, there, there's that side of it. And then there's the other side of people, all oh, no drugs, no drugs, no drugs. Well, there, there are some drugs that are, that are, that are positive for horses and, me personally, I think Lasix is one of them. I'm I'm not against running on it. I know they do overseas, but again, they do train on it. So, and a lot of these people that are voicing their opinions on Lasix that they don't want it, they're the same people that are putting screws in foals to correct them, and they're the same people when they do race, they're using Lasix, but they won't talk about. Oh well, I have horses, but yeah, they're on Lasix, but we shouldn't use it. So to me, if you're an advocate, say I don't use it, well, then when you run a horse, you probably shouldn't. You shouldn't be on Lasix if you're calling the end of it. Um, you know, so I don't. On the breeding side, I don't. I don't know if it's bad or good with the, the, the end game. I mean, they made a decision on it, I guess, right? Let's say they have to be limited, so it's going to make it's going to give other sires a chance. But it's also, as an owner, you can't hit as much of a home run because the formula for how much they can pay for a sire, they can't pay as much. So on that end of it, being an owner, you, you know, you always dream of being able to hit that home run as a sire and get the 10 million, et cetera. That's not going to happen once they, once, once that goes into effect. It's an interesting game. We've decided to wrap ourselves in. <laughs> no kidding. Um, all right, big fellow. Well, I appreciate you hanging out. This isn't going to be the, this isn't going to be the last time I have you. I'll, I'll, I, you know, obviously, I've I've kind of taken this show and and wanted it to be similar to kind of like that uh, that kind of that Joe Roganish vibe, and Rogan's got some of his best friends on over and over and over again. So I I, I want to do a show one day called the Best Friends Pod. It'll be me, you, and Sean Borman, and and you guys can just I actually we actually rotate picking on each other, so that might be entertaining <laughs> for a couple of hours. And something it depends on who uh, who said something stupid that gets worn out in that group text. Well, I appreciate you having me, man, and uh, hopefully. This will be a start of something fun and we can get more people involved with black type and, you know, you can start having some of the partners on and they can talk about the experience with black type and the horse racing in general and the advantages of partnerships and instead of just owning horses, you know, alone. And, uh, you're killing it on this podcast. 
everybody that's that I talk to follows you on Fox and they're making money off of you right now. So just keep up the good work there and hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yeah, tell them, tell them, tell them to stay cheerful if I start giving a bunch of losers next week. <laughs> All right, man. All right, thanks. I'll talk to you soon. The big fella, Huncho, the Prince of Keeneland. It's always an honor, always fun. Um, look, you know, it's funny, man. Like, uh, you know, my relationship with Jake has, has progressed quickly. You know, we met. I actually was going to tell the story. We didn't even tell it, so I'll just tell it now. I think we met at the Derby. I think that's the first time we met. It was at the Derby. I was walking by him and Richard and, uh, and and Pipes, and I, I guess maybe I had run into Jake once before with Nick Tamaro, and like so he had because Nick and and Jake knew each other from the Houston connection, and so I talked to Jake for a second, and I think I told him that like I loved Devisadero and he couldn't lose or whatever, and so then you know Devisadero wins, and then I you know I looked intelligent, we run into each other again, we start talking, and then Jake uh, his family has like a lake house here in Austin, so. He came down here and my buddy Robert and I met him and some of his friends for like drinks one day. And that was like, that was it. The rest is history. Boys ever since. So um, a lot of horse players, I would imagine, listen to this show just by nature of, of following us from the Players Podcast. And and I just want to tell a quick story about Jake that, that, uh, that, uh, that I think is important to share is that I, you know, we've all had those bad runs where you go, you feel like you've gone two weeks, three weeks without cashing a ticket, a month without cashing a ticket. And it's just so frustrating. And then that finally, that moment when you get over the hump, it's like, it's just so relieving. And like, you know, it's, you're believing, you know, you say, okay, the process that I'm doing is right. What I'm doing is correct. What my involvement is the right thing. And, and there's that, 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 that weight that's lifted off of you. I mean, I think it happened to me one time in the middle of the NHC tour when, when I, I, it just had this like long run of like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And then when I hit that big pop in the Arlington million day, where it kind of elevated me with my live score and got me where I needed to be, I was emotional about it. You know, not the money was cool, but it was just like the, oh, the what I am doing is the right thing. And, um, and so when up in smoke won her debut, I was in Vegas for the NHC. And uh, I was so nervous because Jake, like he mentioned on the show, he just had a bad run of luck. And Jake doesn't buy 25 horses. He buys one or two. And man, if you buy one or two, the chances are that both of them can be bad <laughs> really easily. You buy 10, two of them are going to be good and everybody's happy. But he only bought two. And, he, and, he, and he, so he had a bad run. And um, just, you know, being unlucky, um, you know, the great hair story he told and some other ones that just, just bad luck. And so I was just, I was so nervous before she won, before she ran on her debut. And when she won, I got emotional, like trying to like hold back tears in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of the ballroom of 600, uh, men and probably 25 women, um, during the NHC, but I was just so relieved and so happy for him. And I still feel that way. I was so happy that uh that his process and what he does the right way has been confirmed and has been uh, he's being rewarded for it now and he's and he's being rewarded for it with people that he he loves you know these aren't just partners that that he put together and um these are people that he grew up with you know and so uh, every time she crosses the wire it, it gets me going so I'm, I'm very happy for her and i hope that everyone will continue to to cheer her on when when she runs and know what it what it means to jake so um what else housekeeping uh Stronic five on Friday. Make sure you participate in that. Um, tweet us your tickets. Help us uh, help us kind of promote that wager. We we believe in the wager from a 
from a financial and a structural standpoint for what it means to the game, what it means for horse players. We want to promote it. We want to see that handle go up. Last week was tricky. It was up against that Belmont carryover. Still did pretty good. Um, didn't beat last year. So, so participate uh, in that if you can. Also, uh, I don't know if Drew, sorry if this isn't finalized yet, but we've uh, I think we've finalized a, a deal with Lone Star, a partnership deal with Lone Star to uh, – promote their racing on, on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and then some, they have some big Sundays. So make sure that you uh, check those shows out. We'll, we'll probably release them on the wins on, on the weekday. I think the plan is we're going to do like early doubles for every day. So you can get involved in the early double and then stick around and play the rest of the cards. I think we'll do like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the early double. Um, I think that's the plan. So check that out. Um, uh, shout out Matt Bernier, Matt Bernier show, uh, Naomi talk racing to me, uh, Spencer, L. That's what he's saved out of my phone, Spencer L. If you know how to say it, somebody can tell me. I'll try to figure it out. Uh, he's he's got a show this week, and then PTF's rolling. I don't know what else we're doing. It's it's a lot, but it's good. I'm on Fox uh, Fox uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can see it on YouTube as well. I know I know. Look, I know it's kind of annoying, but hopefully you understand why. We're we're on FS2, then we go to FS1, and then sometimes they lose us in the middle because I got other things. You can just kind of always watch it on YouTube as well. So. Um, slight delay if you're betting make sure you're aware of that um that's just the nature of of being on fox so there's a little bit of a delay there and uh what else that's it that's it i'll let you guys get out of here um i want to thank uh uh, our business manager drew coatney drew holler at him if you got something um ptf as always even when he's being naughty and all you guys for listening and uh keep on loving each other we'll talk soon I need to know everything, who and the what and the where, I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything Now you'd be surprised at the info you get, is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet